A few years ago, my daughter played on the East Grand Rapids girls' golf team. The team had a match across town, and since she had a car, she was tasked with driving several of the girls to the match. It was a warm and lovely fall day, so as they drove west on Hall Street, they had the windows down and the music playing. As her car crossed 131 on the overpass, heading toward Granville Avenue, her teammates got nervous. And they told my daughter that she needed to turn around and take a different route. They pleaded with her to roll up the windows and lock the doors. They were heading into an unfamiliar neighborhood, and the reaction was fear. My daughter was shocked and a bit confused. The Roosevelt Park neighborhood sits at the juncture of Hall Street and Granville Avenue, and that is the route we took every day of her elementary school years. She began to point out to her teammates the houses of her friends, homes where she enjoyed birthday parties and sleepovers. She pointed out the potter's house, her school, for six years. She knew the route through Roosevelt Park like the back of her hand. She had no fear driving on those streets, only fond memories. Perspectives are important, aren't they? This morning, we are continuing our summer sermon series on the parables Jesus taught. This series is called The Power of Parables, Eight Ways to Change Your Perspective. Jesus was not interested in telling the kinds of stories that tickled his listeners' ears and reinforced their preconceived notions. Jesus was, and is, interested in challenging us, provoking us, helping us to see the world, ourselves, and our faith with more clarity and imagination. A new perspective is essential to help us clarify what needs to be clarified, and also to give us a window into possibilities and realities that we could only imagine. Author and New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine, in her book, Short Stories with Jesus, asserts that if we read Jesus' parables and draw an easy conclusion, perhaps we are missing the point. Three of the four Gospels include this parable of the mustard seed, as we read this morning. So it appears that this particular story is quite important and bears repeating. How might we be challenged anew today? The story of the mustard seed, the tree, and the birds is often interpreted as a simple adage that from small things, great things can emerge. This can be a wonderful message of encouragement. Or perhaps you have heard that the seed represents the growth of the church, or a message of eternal life. Maybe these ideas are also true. But what if there is more to this story? What if there are some elements of a seed, a tree, and a flock of birds that we could examine? Would it help us as we seek to be Jesus followers in the world today? 
This parable begins with a tiny seed. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So perhaps this seed has something to do with faith. But if we look at the mustard seed specifically, it's not the tiniest seed. Poppy seeds, for example, are seeds so tiny, they routinely get stuck in our teeth. And mustard seeds do not necessarily grow into trees. Most varieties grow into flowering bushes like the ones pictured on the front of your bulletin. So clearly, Jesus was not giving a lecture on botany. Levine states that this seed is so small, you can't do anything with it except plant it. But this tiny little thing may have the potential for something enormous. Seeds in and of themselves perhaps are not the point. Perhaps we are to look to what seeds can do when planted. In a garden, we plant a seed and we leave it alone. Water and sun do their work, but we certainly do not dig up the seed every day to see how it is doing. No, we plant and wait, trusting that there is potential. Something great is happening that we cannot see. This is interesting to ponder in relation to people and human potential. My friend John grew up in Grand Rapids in a traditional Dutch Christian Reformed home. He went to Calvin College in the early 1970s, and he became a radical. He grew his hair into a long mane and became more and more taken with the ideas of economic sharing, living in community, and choosing to dwell among people who were marginalized and oppressed. His conventional parents were baffled and probably quite concerned. John and his band of radical peers would come for Sunday dinners at his parents' home, and one can only imagine how those interactions progressed. At one such meal, his group announced that they had all given up wearing deodorant, to which his family replied, we knew. (laughs) Thankfully, this decision was a temporary one. John and his friends decided to move into the Roosevelt Park neighborhood the same neighborhood my daughter and her golf teammates drove through. And they lived communally. They shared all of the resources, started Bible studies and worship gatherings, and lived with the intention of being a blessing to those around them. Many of their neighbors lived in desperation and poverty. It became apparent that there was a great need for a school that would provide the kind of holistic education the children in the neighborhood craved. So, in a giant leap of faith, and with no money, in 1981, John and his friends, many of whom had teaching degrees from Calvin, launched the Potter's House School. The Potter's House is a Christ-centered, multicultural, urban school that is open to all students, regardless of their ability to pay tuition. John is the superintendent. And every single morning, he greets each student by name, as he has for decades. Today, the school serves over 600 students, from preschool through 12th grade in two locations. They are thriving. 
Literally thousands of children and their families have been impacted by John and the school, my family included. Not only is John an example of a mustard seed, but his students are as well. Did John's parents have any idea of the potential for something like the potter's house? As they sat around their dining table with this ragtag group of hippie college students with radical ideas, did they see what might happen? When we think of urban students in our city, refugee kids, foster children, young people who face incredible odds, do we see potential? When we think of a seed, do we immediately dream of what will happen once it is planted and given the conditions to grow? Perhaps Jesus was telling a story to spark our imagination. Mustard seeds are not the tiniest seed. They do not grow into huge trees for birds to nest in. But if we use our imagination, seeds can grow into anything. Maybe this is a parable about fostering a holy imagination. Maybe the only way we can really grasp the kingdom of God is by using our imagination. When we think of potential and human potential, we can see throughout history that one person can truly make a difference. Levine says, one person with one story or one act of protest or one new discovery can change the world. Think of Rosa Parks, Jonas Salk, Nelson Mandela, and Mother Teresa, and my friend John. And think of the birds of heaven that have rested in the branches of the trees that have grown from these people's lives. It takes imagination for a mustard seed to grow into a tree. So according to Levine, maybe if I could simply imagine the impossible, perhaps then it could come to be. There are lots of impossible things, curing poverty, curing disease, establishing peace. But if you can imagine it, maybe you can bring it to fruition. Do we have a holy imagination? Do we have a kingdom imagination? Do we see potential or limitations? Is our faith the kind that, when kindled by our imagination, moves mountains. Yeah, but maybe this is not what the parable is about. Maybe it's simply a story about mustard. Well, if so, if the kingdom is like mustard, what can we learn? How can we be challenged? Mustard is the second most popular spice in the U.S., second only to pepper. Mustard is used in all different kinds of cuisine, and is found on tables all over the world. There are 40 different varieties, at least, of the mustard plant. It has a range of color, flavor, and texture, not to mention its decorative value. Mustard grows voraciously and is used in landscaping as well as gardens. Mustard plants provide edible greens and beautiful flowering shrubs. Many moons ago, mustard was considered a medicinal plant rather than a culinary one. In the 6th century BC, Greek scientist Pythagoras used mustard as a remedy for scorpion stings. 
A hundred years later, Hippocrates used mustard in medicines and poultices. Mustard plasters were applied to treat toothaches and a number of other ailments. Mustard seeds are naturally packed with minerals and are rich in calcium, potassium, magnesium, and phosphorus. According to Dr. Deepa Verma, mustard can help alleviate asthma and chronic inflammation can help with cancer prevention and manage symptoms of asthma, arthritis, high blood pressure, and migraines. Perhaps Jesus picked mustard as a picture of the kingdom because mustard is amazing. It is spicy and flavorful and brings people together across cultures at tables and banquets and ballparks. Mustard is bountiful and decorative and flowering. It is lush and abundant and beautiful. Mustard is healing. It is nurturing and curative. Perhaps, as we stoke our imagination for what the kingdom of God is like, these properties are helpful. In the kingdom Jesus speaks so fervently about, could he be illustrating how in this kingdom There is great food, there's beauty and abundance, and there is healing. This is an imagination we can all participate in. Levine writes, the seed parable is set in a garden or local field. The kingdom of heaven is found in what today we might call our own backyard. Don't ask when the kingdom comes or where it is. The when is in its own good time, as long as it takes for seed to sprout. The where is that it is already present in our world. The kingdom is present when humanity and nature work together, and we do what we were put here to do, to go out on a limb to provide for others and ourselves. This is a way of living and being that we all get to embrace. Whether it is a dinner party with great food, a yard with flowering and flowing perennials, or the healing hand of compassion for a sick friend, the potential in you to bring the kingdom to earth is astonishing. The potential for each of us and our church to gather birds in our branches is a stunning image. When I drive through Roosevelt Park today, I smell great food. I see beautiful people and colorful homes. And I see a school that was planted in 1981 and is now a great tree. Thousands of student birds have gathered in its branches, and many have now flown to spread the kingdom all over the world. I see a mustard seed flourishing in its growth. So don't lock your doors and windows and miss it. As we spin this parable of the mustard seed around this morning, we can certainly think about how grand things can grow from humble beginnings. And we can also see Jesus illustrating the potential that is in a seed and how that potential is in each human. The potential to do incredible things for the fruition of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we can further look to how Jesus uses a common seed and plant to open and expand our imagination 
to what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. It grows into a great tree, and the birds gather in its branches. As Amy Jolivine says, if I open up my senses, I can feel the kingdom of heaven. With the mustard seed, I can almost taste it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.